Good morning. It's great to uh, be here again. It was a privilege to be here a few months back, and it's just a joy. I love the fellowship you have here and um, the preaching of the word and the worship. Such a great time. So it's nice to be back this morning. And it's my prayer that the Lord, through his word, would encourage your hearts and equip you today as we seek to know him more and make him known. So uh, let's commit our time to the Lord and, and pray yet one more time for my own heart and for ours as we go to his word. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do come to you as needy people. Lord, we are. We are desperate for your grace. Apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing, but with you all things are possible. So we come before you this morning asking that asking you to do that which is impossible for us apart from your gracious hand. Change our hearts, Lord God. Direct our hearts. We know this is your sovereign privilege and joy, and so we come to you asking. Cause us to be those who are hungry for your presence, receptive to your words, sensitive to our own sins, submissive to your spirit, and passionate, Lord God, for your glory this morning. We pray that you might... Now even stir up our affections in a manner that we would be found not only hearers of your word, but doers also. I pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, to every life, there are those essentials. Those things are that one thing that we simply cannot live without. Uh, air, water, food, sleep. Chocolate, money, football. I don't know, everybody has their own list. But some of those things are quite essential. But there is one thing, one thing that each of us must have to make it through every day in every situation. Every single one of us must have hope. We must have hope. Because hope is the confident assurance of a yet unrealized expectation. It's a belief that the labor and love you invest today will one day blossom into something greater, something more glorious, something you look forward to and anticipated. Hope sees promise for tomorrow and gives us purpose for today. We all need hope. It's in hope that an athlete competes on the ball field. It's in hope that a soldier fights on the battlefield. It's in hope that, a, that we enter a new job. It's in hope that we enter into a new and exciting relationship. It's in hope that a husband and father leads his family. It's in hope that a wife tends to her loved ones. And it's in hope that Christians pass from this life to the next. We all need this essential hope. The good news is that if you possess the true and living hope found in Jesus Christ alone, you will not be disappointed, the scriptures tell us. That hope will be realized. And so we must keep our hope fixed on him and persevere in trials and find that joy that he has indeed promised. The bad news is that if your hope is not anchored in Jesus Christ, but in something else, then all of your labors are ultimately empty. And everything that you're grasping for simply slips through your fingers. So I ask you, do you have hope this morning? Can you say today that you know for certain that your labors are not in vain because your hope is fixed on that which is unshakable and eternal? 
And are you keeping your eyes, your gaze fixed on and absorbed with the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ? How's your hope? I have a great concern for Christians today and the stability of our walk because too often we are being deceived, distracted. We are being turned aside by those things that want to capture our hope. We live in a day and even a generation when we are constantly bombarded with the promises, offers, statements, all of which want to capture your attention and capture your affection so that it might be turned away from that which deserves all of your attention and affection, Jesus Christ alone. The world's promises always fade. They always seem to come up empty. And that is the concern, because the scriptures tell us in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes a heart sick. And we know that a sick heart will eventually become an angry heart. And an angry heart will become a bitter heart. And a bitter heart can become a hopeless heart. But this should not be for Christians. And yet too often I believe that there are too many sick believers because they, we, place our hope in that which is not true, not eternal. And so the promises always do not satisfy. They fall short. And so whether you are one who is distracted today or dedicated today, I hope that our text this morning will give you these three principles for discerning true hope in a deceptive day. Three principles for discerning true hope in a deceptive day so that we might have the everlasting confidence and joy in Jesus Christ alone. And we're going to be looking to the Old Testament for this instruction. Romans 15.4 tells us that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the instruction of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah 28. You can turn back there in your Bibles. Jeremiah 28. Much of the Bible is broken into both uh, prescriptive and descriptive passages. From those prescriptive passages, we find those precepts. Tell us, do this and don't do that. Okay, so the scriptures are made up of both precepts and principles. Okay? And occasionally there's distractions and interruptions and otherwise. We trust the Lord for that as well. So what we're going to look at today in Jeremiah 28, we're going to find a descriptive passage that is going to give us principles for discerning true hope. And we find this in Jeremiah 28. And the interesting thing about Jeremiah 28, let me give you a little context real quick, is this is a time in Israel's history when the days were dark and they were desperate, truly desperate for hope. In fact, they were so desperate that the stage was set and it was ripe for a great revival or a great imposter. So in 605 BC, the Babylonian army came in and they conquered Judah. Nebuchadnezzar came in and he, well, conquered them and took away the first round of of, uh, what they call the deportation. Daniel and his friends were part of this. Well, due to further rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar set a reminder in 597 B.C., and he suppressed the rebels again. He robbed the temple. He gathered another group for deportation, and he took them back also to Babylon. This time, their favorite king, Jeconiah, also called Coniah in the passages, 
And Nebuchadnezzar installed his own puppet king, Zedekiah. Well, Zedekiah did Nebuchadnezzar's bidding for a short while, but before long, he also began to rebel. This was not a wise move for Zedekiah for a few reasons, but one primary reason is that God had given Judah a prophet named Jeremiah. He left Jeremiah in the land, in Jerusalem, to proclaim his message. And Jeremiah had told them that this captivity that began in 605 BC would last 70 years. You can look at that in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. The promise was given. It was clear. And so Jeremiah remains in Jerusalem telling them how they ought to respond during this time that is unfavorable, they don't like, during the 70 years captivity. And he specifically, he tells them, you are to hope in the Lord. Don't be deceived by the worldly circumstances and prophets that are going to come up. But they wouldn't listen. They wanted something different than what God commanded. Something better than what God had promised in this particular season, not realizing that even the captivity was intended for their good. This 70 years was to preserve them, protect them, and provide for the nation during a very unique time, ultimately working together for their good. Now we have to pause for a moment and have a little self-application. How often do we reject the Lord's chosen means of discipline, protection, provision, because we think we have a better way? We think the world has a better promise. Certainly there's a shortcut here somehow, even though God has clearly told us what we are to do. So in 593 BC, we come to Jeremiah 28. In 593 BC, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem prophesying. And leading up to this passage, we see in the chapter just before, God tells Jeremiah, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. And say to the people, he goes on to say later in chapter 27, verse 12, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and live. And he goes on to say, do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie. They are prophesying a lie to you. And so Jeremiah is saying all of this on behalf of the Lord. A yoke, by the way, a wooden yoke goes over the shoulders, sometimes for one, sometimes for two beasts. And it's a wooden instrument that's carried around. It was mostly used for animals, but on occasion also used for captives. And obviously it has the idea of submission. It was an instrument showing submission in captivity. So here's Jeremiah walking around Jerusalem with an ox's yoke on his neck, proclaiming a very unpopular message. How exciting. What a great ministry Jeremiah has. His ministry is repent of the rebellion and put your hope in God during these 70 years of captivity. But they, like all of us, only hold to God's clear teaching until there's a better offer that comes along. Sounds reasonable and good, but we get enticed by those other competing promises. Let's pick up the story in Jeremiah chapter 28, starting in verse 1. In that same year, that is 593 B.C., in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon 
Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Well, the first principle for discerning true hope in deceptive days is this. We need to consider the source. Oh, that's critical today, isn't it? Consider the source of the message you are hearing. So let's do that for a moment, and let's consider Hananiah. Who is this man? What is he telling the crowds? What are they hearing? What is this good news that this messenger comes with? Can we really trust him? Well, in verse 1, we see that Hananiah is a recognized prophet. Wow, okay. He was also the son of a prophet. He's from Gibeon, a sacred site known as the, the Hill of God. He is speaking to the leaders and the people as a prophet ought to with authority in Jerusalem, on the temple grounds. This is how a prophet ought to deliver the word of the Lord. At this point, everything looks legitimate. He acts, sounds, behaves, speaks, probably even smells like a prophet. You see, sometimes recognizing a prophet is really hard to do. It can be difficult because the appearance and the credentials are all there, most apparently. So let's look a little deeper. Now that we know a little about the man, Hananiah, we need to consider the content of his message. Okay, we, we think we know him, but what is he really saying? Notice in verse 2, thus says the Lord. Not only does he use the personal, divine name of God, implying authority and a divine commission, but in verse 3, he gives the exact time and details of his prophecy. In other words, he's speaking with clarity and precision, that which can be seen and measured. Again, it all sounds completely legitimate. I remember a time I was... I was driving, I jumped in the car, and I turned on the radio, and I didn't catch the beginning of the program, but heard part of it, and then I had to stop my trip before the end of the program, so I just caught this one little part of this radio show. And it was fascinating, it was really interesting, how they harvest maple syrup. And I thought, huh, I didn't know that this area in Canada, there, there, were, there were these trees with maple syrup, and they're just bursting with maple syrup, and these guys go out there, and they have to tap these trees, and sometimes they're bursting so much the trees explode. People die harvesting maple syrup. And I'm listening to this show going, that's incredible. I've never heard such a thing. Well, I get to where I'm going, which was home, and my neighbor happened to be Canadian, and he was outside. I said, hey, I had no idea it was so dangerous to harvest maple syrup, and he just laughed. So what are you talking about? No, I heard it on the radio. It was April 1st that I was listening to this program. <laughs> but, I mean, it's on the radio. It sounded legit. They had, like, special interviews and everything, right? I've since been a better researcher than that. I'll just have you know. But we can get fooled by that which seems completely legitimate, but is totally off base and off track. Ultimately, it's ridiculous. And so here we have Hananiah contradicting what God had clearly revealed just prior. In fact, contradicting what God was currently revealing through Jeremiah. But above all of this, Hananiah simply brings a message of hope, and that's what gets us. Oh, wait a second. His message, I like that. 
to those being oppressed under the domination of Babylon, this was good news. This is what they had been dreaming would come. They really wanted to hear what Hananiah had to say. But just as dreams fade when the morning light comes, this prophecy of Hananiah's was also about to be exposed. You see, there was a problem with Hananiah's prophecy. Truth. The light of truth. There's the truth that what God had already revealed in his word, that beginning in 605, they would be in captivity for 70 years. As I mentioned, chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. It had only been 12 years. Do the math. Now think about that for a moment. 70 years. And then somebody comes along and says, nah, how about 12? 14 maybe. Now imagine you've got some students here. Imagine you're in school. You start your junior year, first semester, or you're in college. You know, you're making your way toward graduation and somebody comes in, nice suit, nice tie, academic credentials. What's your name? Okay, you're gonna have your diploma in three weeks. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Who are you? I mean, people wanna capture your hope, capture your attention, or you know how it works in the medical field. You're ailing, you're hurting, you have a chronic pain, illness, otherwise, and somebody comes along and makes you a promise. And you want it to be true. You would love to see that realized. And so our attention and even our affection is captured away from what we ought to stay focused on. There's the truth that God had told them the only path to blessing and restoration was repentance. Seventy years. And the only way you're going to get the promise at the end of this is through repentance. Why were they hoping to get what God had promised apart from the means in which God had promised they could obtain it? Repentance. Why do we do the same thing? We too often hope for that which God never promised. And we can't force God to do our plan, our way, in our time. He knows best. Friends, there are sinners, deceivers in the world today who claim to offer hope and happiness around every single corner, and it's nothing new. You hear the same old refrain, has God truly said? Oh, you won't surely die. Sin isn't really that bad. God isn't really that good, is he? Just a little doubt, just a little compromise. Many television preachers today with their fancy suits and big words and books that you can buy for a price. Sometimes it's at best a distraction and at worst the seeds of idolatry. We must have great discernment in these very deceptive days, whether it's politicians, advertisers, even friends and family can easily lead us astray to that which we would want to hear, but is clearly contrary to God's will. Remember, if you don't want to be deceived, first consider the source. You don't want to lose that true and living hope. But we also must apply the scriptures. Let's look back to the text, verse 5. Consider the source and now apply the scriptures. Verses 5 through 11. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. And may the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles yet 
hear now this word that I speak in your hearing, in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Wow. What a fascinating account of two prophets who both claim to have a a divine commission in front of the leaders in the temple, the very center of the religious gathering, these two perceived men of God quarreling over contradictory messages. We would be wise to notice how each one of them responds in moments like this. We must consider the source. We must now apply the scriptures. Notice in verse 5 how Jeremiah approaches Hananiah. He doesn't just take him to the side and say, oh, Hananiah, it's really not a good idea to to lie to the leaders and give them false hope. He doesn't do that. You see, he knows that this message will spread like wildfire. People want to hear that. They'll catch on to it, and the momentum will go very rapidly. However, Jeremiah also knows that this is exactly what they want to hear. Jeremiah is living in this as well. He knows. And so how does he address the situation? Guiding their hopes back to the person and plan of God. Watch how Jeremiah applies the scripture in this situation. First, he he responds wisely in verse 6. He just gently says, Amen. (laughs) May the Lord do so. Now, this is not sarcasm. This is a sincere, sympathetic, tactful, and even wise response. You see, Jeremiah, he also knows and longs for a better situation. But God's previous revelation is clear. And so he not only responds wisely and with empathy, but now he begins to recount prophecy. Notice verse 7. Yet, and I can just imagine how Jeremiah said that. Yet, and here comes the truth, hear now this word. Uh, Without getting into all the detail, Jeremiah simply points him back to the scriptures. Remember, at this point, the onlookers really can't tell the difference. There's Hananiah, there's Jeremiah, they both sound really legit. One has a better message, and so we'd really like to believe him, but what do we do with the Jeremiah guy? I don't know what to do. And so Jeremiah, in verse 8, he says, you know, the prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied of war, famine, pestilence. You know, Hananiah, your message is really not typical of God's prophets, and not only that, but God usually calls his people to repentance, not unconditional blessing. Just keep doing what you're doing in rebellion and blessing will come. So there's a precedent that Jeremiah points to. There's also in verse 9, the clear instruction from Scripture. And if one, you want to look at it real quick, you can. Deuteronomy chapter 18 gives instruction for exactly this kind of a situation, which is so wonderful that God would spell it out in such a way that they could see it. Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, we read, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, 
or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? In other words, how are we going to tell? Perfect. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so they have clear instruction in Scripture on how to deal with this. The Puritans used to say, tested then trusted. Thank you for your profession. Now let us watch. And so Jeremiah comes to Hananiah and declares in front of all the people, we'll see. God's word has told us how to deal with this. And Jeremiah proposes that they deal with it exactly as the scriptures prescribed. Well, in light of this, Hananiah has three options, doesn't he? Hananiah can say, okay, I lied. Just kidding. Or he could say, fine, you're right. I forgot about Deuteronomy 18. We'll just wait and see. Okay? Or the third option is to point his finger back at Jeremiah and say, wrong, you're the false prophet. Well, again, the text is very telling of our human nature and the integrity of an individual, isn't it? Uh, you can humble yourself and admit you lied. You can be patient and wait for the Lord's confirmation. Or you can be a bully and insist on your own way. I was reading recently, again with my daughter, who's in sixth grade, reading Robinson Crusoe, and this jumped out the text at me, this quote, really interesting. I have often observed how irrational the common temper of mankind is, and that they are, they are not ashamed to sin, and yet they are ashamed to repent. They are not ashamed of the action for which they would be esteemed fools, and yet they are ashamed of doing that which make them wise. Oh, it's so true of human nature, isn't it? We're so slow to repent. The fool and the deceiver are, are too proud to repent. Which option does Hananiah choose? Verse 10, Hananiah the prophet took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. This is unprecedented. We have one prophet taking the sign act of another prophet and destroying it. This is ridiculous. And not only that, but Hananiah, he doesn't just say, give me that, set that aside. The word there is really that he takes it off of your, Jeremiah's neck and shatters it. Shubar is the Hebrew word. It shatters. Okay. Hananiah is violently angry and he's having a fit in the middle of the temple grounds. Okay. Now this is getting quite revealing, isn't it? And so what does he do? He breaks the yoke bars and he continues his hostility. He now says, not only in two years will the, will the yoke be taken off, but Nebuchadnezzar's yoke will be taken off all the nations. He begins to exaggerate more. He begins to get more violent. He begins to go even further with pounding the pulpit, so to speak. And do you know people like this? Those that when you confront them with truth, when you shine the light, when you maybe even ask for clarification, they just blow up. That's Hananiah. And so men, especially, I would just say, our actions and our responses reveal the purity of our priorities and motives. We must respond wisely. So what is Jeremiah to do in the midst of Hananiah's heresy and hostility? What does a wise servant of the Lord do? He simply separates himself from the situation. So wise. 
Don't misunderstand. Jeremiah is not fleeing for his life as if he's scared. He's simply reacting appropriately to prevent further damage to the onlookers who are watching and seeing what's happening here. There's an old saying that says, a wise man should never argue with a fool. He will drag you down to his level and beat you by experience. Oh, that's so true. And so Jeremiah just walks away. Jeremiah is not a foolish man. He understands that these battles are not won through persuasive argument or physical force, but by patiently trusting the Lord and his promises. And this is exactly what happens. Before we continue, let me ask how you're doing with, with your hope. Has, has God taken a back seat? Has God's word taken a back seat to your own desires, circumstances, and traditions? Are you still listening to him first, or are you listening to others who would come along and provide a better promise if there was such a thing? Have you been faithful to consider the source and apply the scriptures to the situation in your life so that your hope would not be lost? Professing believers too often place their hope in the promises of the world. And you can see this because they're never discerning, they're always following, they're forever frustrated. Because they're asking the world to do what it was never designed to do. The world was never designed to provide redemption, contentment, and hope. Your spouse, your job, a car, Whatever the case might be, none of those were designed to provide that which only comes from God through Jesus Christ and a saving relationship with him. But those promises, oh, they are so enticing, aren't they? So we're called back again in verses 12 through 17 to, here's our third point, trust the Lord. We must trust the Lord. Pick it up in verse 12. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars, from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. <laughs> Go tell Hananiah. Thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all the nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust or hope in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. In this final scene between Jeremiah and Hananiah, we see our third principle for discerning true hope in deceptive days. Consider the source. Apply the scriptures. Trust the Lord. We must never stop trusting the Lord, even when others are deceived and going astray and we wonder and question the first item we can trust him for is to do what he promised to do. You can trust that God will do exactly what he promised to do. Notice in verse 14, God reaffirms exactly what he had stated before. Oh, no, no. You will serve Nebuchadnezzar. 
You see, the world makes their speculations and confident statements about the future. We must never forget that there is a God in heaven who does as he pleases and no purpose of his will be thwarted. He is God. He is sovereign. He knows what's best and he will do as he pleases. In the end, God's word stands true. We need to trust him for that. He will never let you down. In addition to trusting God to do what he's promised, we can also trust the Lord to protect his people. And we see that in this, in this passage. Ultimately, when we look at Jeremiah 28, it's not about a silly argument between two prophets and onlookers trying to tell the difference. Ultimately, Jeremiah 28 is about the Lord's sovereign protection of his people from deception and his message from corruption. God is protecting his people, and so he's going to deal with Hananiah in a very specific way to say, you're tampering with my children, and you're giving a message that's corrupting my word, and we're going to see God carry out his promises and do as he pleases in this situation as well. Ever since God rescued them and said, I will be your God and you will be my people, he has then taken ownership of them and will radically protect them, will aggressively protect them. Are you God's child? God has an aggressive love for his children. As you tamper with false hopes, as you look into other things, if something happens in your life that radically snatches that away so that your attention is fixed back on God and your gaze is on Jesus Christ... He has many means of accomplishing this. God loves his children, and he will indeed recapture your attention to protect you from being deceived and to protect his message from being corrupted. So did Hananiah's false prophecy and rebellious actions have any effect? Absolutely they did. Oh, Hananiah, he didn't change God's agenda, but he simply made it more harmful. Let's recall again what the Lord says in verse 13. You have made wooden bars into bars of iron. (laughs) Now remember what the yoke symbolizes. It's a form of chastening, right? Of of discipline, of correction. It's, It's an instrument to guide you and instruct you, to teach you. It's an instrument of discipline. It looks forward. This is why the yoke was on the shoulder of the animals, not to harm them primarily, but to guide them. So when this yoke goes from a wooden yoke to an iron yoke, what is God saying here? I spent the first part of my life as a roofing contractor, and I've swung a hammer a lot of times. And I can tell you there is a big difference from spending an entire day swinging a hammer with a wooden handle than there is with a steel one. Or maybe you're a baseball player, or maybe you work in something, I don't know, but you know the difference. When you have a steel yoke, it's heavier, it's harder, it's more hurtful, and it's completely unforgiving. The point is this, if you cared for your ox, you wouldn't put an iron yoke on it. That would be ridiculous. But the one who causes the child of God to hope in something that God has never promised is now taking the yoke, whatever it might be, that God has placed on his child and made it from wood to iron. God is still going to get you where you need to be, but somebody has come along, crept in, and made that which is for correction and instruction into that which is now for destruction. The deceiver makes God's profitable correction into that which simply appears as punishment. And this is what Hananiah did. 
So God points his finger back at Hananiah through Jeremiah the prophet and declares this. You, Hananiah, you have made my discipline into that which is despised in their heart and destructive to their hope. Remember, God's discipline through suffering is one of the means in which he grows us. Think of Proverbs chapter 3 or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. God disciplines the child he loves in order that they might be trained up by it and produce holiness and righteousness. God has a purpose for what he does and allows into our life, and we must keep our eyes fixed on him and trust him for it. To suffer in this life is expected, but to be in the midst of life's trials without hope or to have false hope makes the profitable only painful. And God never intends for his people just to simply experience his chastening as painful. There is hope in the midst of suffering and pain. A Puritan from a hundred, few hundred years ago, William Cooper, said it this way. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. In other words, the way in which you see the situation you're in that is not favorable, it's hard, it, it hurts and it's hard. God is behind all of what you see smiling and saying, child of God, I've got you. You're my child, I'll take care of you. Keep listening to my voice and not their voice. We mustn't forget that if we're a believer in the midst of life's trials, even when hope is dim, God will perform what, is, what he's promised. As you know, Romans 8, God does work all things together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. But you can also be certain that God will punish those false prophets to come along and seek to deceive. You can be certain that God not only executes love and kindness and patience and all the rest for his child, but he will execute justice and wrath for those who oppose so we can also trust that God will not only fulfill his promises, but he will punish false prophets. Notice the end of verse 15 in this chapter. You have made this people trust or hope in a lie. And again, at the end of verse 16, you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In other words, to not trust the Lord's promises is to practice rebellion. To not take him at his word is to rebel against his authority. This is no small charge, and it will have no small punishment. And so Hananiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, receives this message from the Lord. You know, before this, Hananiah might have been feeling pretty good. Hey, I won that interaction with Jeremiah. I've got the crowds, I've got the fame, I've got the glory. They wanted to believe me, and Jeremiah just walked off. But notice in verse 16, God tells him, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. And in case we couldn't interpret that, he says, you're going to die this year. <laughs> in the Hebrew text, there's actually an interesting little word play here where we see the word sent in verse 15, where he says, the Lord has not sent you. 
But in verse, in verse 16, he says, but the Lord is about to remove you. That actually comes from the same word for send. So in other words, Hananiah, you have not been sent of the Lord. But guess what, Hananiah? You're about to be sent by the Lord to death. You want to be a sent one and falsely say, thus says the Lord? Guess what? God's punishment is sure. And this is exactly what happened. We read in verse 17 that it was less than two months later that Hananiah died. And now this peddler of false hope is eternally without hope for his act of denying God's word and counterfeiting the truth of God. Let's be reminded that God's not blind to the deception of men. And you know, that's really the pain of hell, if we can think about it that way. The sting of hell is that it's over. There is no reason and no option to ever have hope again in hell. The sting of hell is hopelessness. But the joy of life in Jesus Christ is sins forgiven and promises fixed and hope assured and life joyful because of the God who cares for you and will fulfill his promises for you. Oh, God loves his children. And he is going to aggressively protect your hope. But you also need to be aggressively discerning in these deceptive days. Consider the source. Apply the scriptures. Trust the Lord. I'd like to tell you that Hananiah's death caused the people to repent and turn to what Jeremiah calls the hope of Israel, that is, their God. But in 586 B.C., the Lord destroyed the temple and removed the people just as Jeremiah had prophesied. We must learn to discern true hope in deceptive days, not be fooled by false promises, consider the source, apply the scriptures, entrust your soul to the only one who will and can fulfill his promises. And hear these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. If you have not yet surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not placed his yoke on, I would just call you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ today, who has your best interest in mind when he commands you to obey, repent, believe, receive forgiveness, and walk with him, sure of the promises he has laid up for you. The joy of heaven will be realized. The bitter sting of hell will be gone. If you are a believer here today, Paul writes to Timothy, Christ Jesus is our hope. And so we pray that with the instruction, the principles of the scriptures, you might better be able to navigate that road of truth and hope that is everlasting. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us hopeless, 
and helpless in this world. You have sealed us with your spirit. You have equipped us with your your word. You have gathered us together this morning that we might rejoice in our common hope. May the instruction and application of your word not be lost on our prideful hearts. May it not be forgotten by our selfish minds, and may it not be neglected by the distractions and deceptions of this coming week. Lord, may we be found faithful in our pursuit of the hope of glory. And we pray in the only saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.